Welcome to the Triage Method Podcast with me, Gary McGowan, and my co-host, Mr. Patrick Farrell. How are you this week, Patty? I am positively fantastic. Brilliant. So this week, our topic of discussion is going to be one that doesn't exactly kind of have a title. It's, it's kind of related to training motivation, kind of related to the role of community um, in training and, and how having exercise and training as part of your identity is probably yeah, I'm probably going to title this like communal motivation. Yeah. Incredibly weak. Like communism, is it? Basically communism. Yeah. A communist Dem- approach to Democratic fitness. socialism in training. That's what I'm going to call it. <laughs> yeah. So like effectively, like the reason we wanted to discuss this was, um, was kind of twofold. Okay. So firstly, at the moment um, with the whole COVID-19 lockdown, etc., everyone is basically relying on their own quote-unquote, it only took us a few seconds to start saying that, uh, quote-unquote motivation to to basically get their, their training done. And they don't have any kind of community going, so people are training on their own. They're training in their bedrooms. They're training in their sitting rooms. They're training out the back uh, with a couple of dumbbells, so they're probably not training with their preferred training equipment. It's been divorced from their typical training environment, divorced from their typical training schedule in terms of like when they go to the gym, before or after work, etc. And basically all of the ritual aspects of training have been removed. And I think people are now beginning to see that like, oh, it wasn't just my motivation that was carrying me through this. It was actually lots of other things that were making me enjoy the training process and show up to to the gym every day. And I think a lot of people have been able to now empathize with some of the additional barriers to, to exercise and training that maybe they didn't realize were actually in their way. You know, especially if you were someone who trained with a training partner prior to this and now that training partner is gone you may see your training quality start to deteriorate even though you always thought that you trained hard because you train hard you know full stop and the second reason we want to discuss this is because i was on the the um the mumble mentees podcast a few weeks ago um with what's his name what's the guy that runs a podcast called just couldn't tell you yeah i don't know lube 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 i think his name is um yeah, but but um, anyway, we're on the podcast there with the uh, Muscle Mentors, in case you don't get the reference, with Mr. Luke Hoffman and Mr. James Sutton. And James one of the top guy, that Lube guy, I don't like him. Yeah, I don't, don't like Lube. His, um, his trolling is actually incredibly weak as well. Um, but other than that, you know, he's all right. Uh, but yeah, we're, one of the things that came up on that podcast was kind of the role of... Um, not just community, community, identity, um, and, and things like that in bodybuilding. Because like the thing that's interesting is that a lot of people kind of view bodybuilding um, and powerlifting and stuff like that as individual sports. And while they are individual in the sense that you compete as an individual and you are rated or scored as an individual, um, it's far more than just an individual sport. And you'll notice that if you go into any bodybuilding gym in the UK, and this is basically what we were talking about. So if you go into like a bodybuilding gym in the UK, there's quite a rich culture associated with that. You know, there's a rich physical culture, much like there would be in a lot of other um, areas. So for example, if you go to a CrossFit gym, people, a lot of people like wear the same stuff. Like they're wearing like Metcons, you know, they wear kind of the same, the same clothing, um, maybe they eat the same foods and things like that. And it's the same when it comes to bodybuilding. If you go into a bodybuilding gym in the UK, you know, you'll generally find the people, they idolize people like uh, Dorian Yates and Jordan Peters because like they're the bodybuilders that have come from their country. 
And you'll generally notice them all or a lot of people engaging in similar practices. So people will wear the same t-shirts. You know, you see a lot of people wearing the monster factory t-shirts, um, those ugly bodybuilding shoes and bodybuilding pants that Luke and Callum wear. <laughs> I troll, I troll Luke about this to his face. So, you know, you're, you're allowed to say this on our podcast. Um, you know, th- those, those types of things that are associated with the culture and that, that basically reinforce everything that, that, that is needed for you to get better at bodybuilding. So, I mean, when someone is going to the gym and they're wearing their Monster Factory t-shirt and they're listening to maybe particular music or whatever, and they're using similar language, like that's another thing that you see, similar language choices um, for how they describe their training and their nutrition, et cetera, um, similar hashtags and stuff like that. All of that makes the individual feel like they're part of a, a particular culture and a particular community which then reinforces their desire to train in a particular way in the gym. Like if you go into the gym, you'll even notice that a lot of people are doing the same exercises and the same uh, set structure. Like one of the things you see now is that, you know, the vast majority or a lot of UK bodybuilders, they'll do a heavy set of six to eight and they'll drop back and they'll do a set of 12 to 15 as their second set and they'll do two working sets. And like, I think, I think the problem with the way that we've, intellectualized, um, or as you say, the academization um, of the fitness industry. One of the the problems with that is that we say that everything that is, like we basically just start branding things as arbitrary. Okay. So we call things like that arbitrary and that you could set things up in an infinite amount of ways. However, what that does is it divorces the training practice from the culture in which the training practice was built. And it's hard to do that and still keep the culture. Okay, so like basically what I'm making the case for is not necessarily just being the person that kind of scientifically analyzes everything and, and, and basically says that everything is arbitrary and you can do things any way and none of it matters because um, we want to keep that. But we also want to try and you know, keep some elements of the culture to reinforce um, our, our motivation and our desire to train and our sense of community, etc. So that's kind of the opening framework for this discussion anything to, to add there patty yeah like this it, this is a, a weird kind of discussion because it it becomes kind of a polarizing and i don't mean that like as in like, oh, it becomes negatively polarizing to people or you know people are like oh they fall into these camps but it makes it seem like some of the stuff even we've discussed before or other people have discussed it seems like oh well you said this was arbitrary but now you're saying yeah it's important and mm-hmm. like that unfortunately is the nature of the beast because while we would all love to well maybe not all of us but a lot of us would love to think that we are perfectly rational and logical beings that's simply not the case you you can't divorce your practices from your your culture and your identity and like this obviously this is a, a larger topic and some of the stuff we're going to touch on here you can start applying the thought framework to other areas in your life and other areas of, I don't know what it means to be a human, like politics, you know, even like a religion, like all of those kind of things. You can see that it's like, okay, well this, this is a self reinforcing practice that, you know, makes the, the culture stronger, you know, but that also is a bi-directional path in that the culture makes the practice stronger. You know, like um, a good one right now is like Ramadan. People are fasting, like the Muslim community are fasting and seeing your brothers and sisters in the same position as you, that gives you more strength to carry through with your fast. You know what I mean? Like 
if everyone around you was eating, you're just kind of like, oh, like, why am I doing this random practice? It's not for me, right? Um, and then they, they, they don't do it because it's like, oh, well, everyone else is not doing it. You know, whereas if you're like, oh, no, all my brothers and sisters are like all my community are in the same position as me. That's a, a practice then that gets strengthened by the culture. And it's no different than the, the, your nutrition practices, no different than your, your training practices. It is the, the culture that reinforces that practice. And this is very easy to understand in a, a very day to day manner in, in terms of, like, again, like you said, if you had a training partner, you know, you might think that you're this really motivated to train individual, but no doubt you've had days where you're like, oh, I'm kind of dragging my heels. I might not go to the gym. I'm not really, you know, I'm not in the mood. And your training partner is like, huh, I'm going to fucking destroy you on the bench press later. And, you know, I'm going to, I'm ready to go. And you're kind of like, oh, well, I'm not going to let this happen. And you build that motivation because of the, the community, which in this case is just a singular individual. Um, and as a result, then you have better training sessions overall and you know you push yourself harder and you actually get to the gym and all that kind of stuff. Um, and while we all, especially males, like to think, oh, I'm a lone wolf, I can do this all on my own, I've got, I've got this. Like there is still that culture, there is still that uh, ritual associated with um, the, the training process. Again, you can call it a, a physical culture, um, but it could also be a nutritional culture, if you know what I mean. Like, a, like I think that the physical culture is a, an embodiment of both of those things because, you know, what, what use is it just, you know, training if you're not going to support that nutritionally and, you know, lifestyle-wise. So I'm like, it, it encompasses everything, you know? And again, like, you can see this is why, like, you have, like, classrooms and stuff um, because, you know, if you're going to try to develop that mental culture, if you want to call it that, where, you know, the education of individuals, you know, that, that works better in a, a community aspect where you're, you're all kind of thinking along the same lines. You can discuss topics you don't understand and someone else picked it up easier and you're like, oh, okay, now we can have this uh, collaborative thought process. And because now there are many minds working on the same problem, we can get better together. And it's, it, it is something that is, not discussed as much as much as it should be um, and it is one of these factors that are peripheral to training like it's, it's kind of adjacent even to training where when it's integrated things work better and that that is underexplored we'll say you know like for example even if you read all these research studies on training you know, you're like, oh, this person did three sets of 10 and this person did five sets of 10 and let's compare what happened. You know, like that isn't necessarily the same stuff that's happening in a gym, even if it's the exact same program, because you have to remember that there's individuals effectively coaching these people and, and pushing them to push harder in the gym or whatever, again, depending on the protocol that they're, they're examining and whatever. Maybe they're like, don't, don't push hard. That's the, the protocol, you know, but there's, there's a culture associated with that. There is a, a, an, an entire paradigm around that that relates to this kind of community cultural aspect um, that they've effectively created for this study. And that obviously influences results, you know? So it, it, it's a, we'll call it an underexplored area, but it is something that is very crucial. And you see when it's implemented correctly or even implemented at all, like I was going to say correctly because there's positives and negatives to this because effectively what we're talking about is tribalism to an extent. And, and obviously that naturally has negative uh, effects 
depending on what you're being tribalistic about, you know. Um, but, you know, building that kind of community around this, this whole topic does influence your ability to motivate yourself and your ability to then get effective training sessions, uh, get effective, you know, nutritional practices and, and all of that stuff. So this, this is a topic that while it seems kind of adjacent or parallel or whatever you want to say to this whole health and fitness discussion, it is something that you have to really, really consider, you know, there's even a, a, an easier one to consider uh, in, in the broader scheme of society. And that is, you know, the use of alcohol, right? Because you could easily make a very strong, I mean, a very, very strong argument that alcohol is the biggest killer of humans in the world, right? Um, I can't remember the figure. I want to say it's 3 million, but it could be 30 million. So I could be off by a zero. Anyway, it is the number one killer of humans in the world. Like it kills more people than war, terrorism, car accidents, because again, car accidents probably occur more likely when you are inebriated. But anyway, like alcohol, like if we were again, tried to legalize it today, you'd be like, Jesus Christ, no, like this liver psoriasis, all the, all these peripheral topics. You're like, this is fucking awful for you, you know? But you can't dissociate the, the cultural aspects of that and realize that you know cultures have used this as a, a social lubricant, if you will, and to allow them to have a more cohesive culture. And this is especially true if you live in like a more rural environment where you know the, the pub is the hub of you know the community, where like oh, everyone goes there at the, the end of a hard day's work, you know, and we all communicate and we have this cultural structure you know and even like again within the family unit like having you know a few drinks at your back at this time uh, in coronavirus lockdown time you know that's that's keeping your family more cohesive you know and you can argue that oh maybe uh, like you just have food or something or whatever but you know it, it it belittles the effect that alcohol has on again as a social lubricant you know and um, so like again you can make a very strong argument that you should just get rid of it but you have to remember that if you get rid of it you degrade a uh, part of the culture you know 100 percent um i was going to say something there and then i got kind of sidetracked because you said you said liver psoriasis and i was like well that's interesting it obviously meant cirrhosis but then i was thinking about the alcohol thing and then that got me sidetracked as well um but i was going to say something before that and i can't remember what it was um, um, um oh yeah basically that the 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 idea here is to kind of somewhat somewhat look inward because as you said when people are listening to this they're probably like but you know you guys say sometimes that things are just arbitrary and yes we absolutely do um and, and that's, that's kind of the goal here is to kind of look inward and to see like, what are we actually missing by looking at things with this kind of solely like, you know, real scientific and real analytical lens? Because obviously when people ask questions and they ask specific questions, like they want to, like there's a specific answer that, that you can give to that question. And nothing kind of annoys me more than, you know, people just giving stupid answers on Instagram being like, oh, well, it depends. And then never actually saying what it depends on or, you know, just, just not answering a question saying that, oh, you know, it doesn't matter. You could do things one of many ways. Like that, they're just not helpful answers. So when we answer questions of the podcast, we try to be quite specific. You know, for, so for example, if you were to ask, um, what are the, what are the, the merits of squatting? You know, probably going to give you an, an analysis of squatting that's based probably on, you know, anatomy that's going to be based on exercise mechanics to some degree. Um, and maybe talk about some of the variations between individuals. So like that for me, in response to the way that question is framed is the more helpful way of kind of, uh, 
working through that specific question um, is, is to go through those things. However, like it, it, do, it does come, come back to uh, the discussion of kind of culture again, because what you can say when you're talking about squatting and, and you know, we've said this uh, many a time where is that, you know, there's nothing special about squatting. You know, there's nothing unique in that. It's not, it's not the best exercise to build your legs. It's not necessarily going to be best for everyone. However, it's very, very unlikely that we'll ever see the squat disappear um, or not for a long time, you know, in, in its conventional form, the barbell squat. Um, and, and the thing is, like, I still include barbell squatting of some variation in the vast majority of programs that I create for people. You know, the vast majority of people will be doing some sort of barbell squat variation. And it's not necessarily purely for like an optimal reason because that's the thing people seem to think that when we start to look at things scientifically it's all about trying to find what is optimal but it's also about what what's asked about me asking you know what do i actually want my clients to be able to do so if i have a client who's getting into weight training is it useful that they learn to squat with a barbell yes it is useful because while a hack squat you know might be a better option for them is it likely that they'll always have a hack squat available to them? You know, is a hack squat a key part of uh, this physical culture that they're trying to ingrain themselves in? Like, kind of not really, you know, in that the barbell squat is probably more central to what people think about when they think about weight training. And while we don't want to necessarily just reinforce the idea that you should just do things because that's how they've always been done, you know, that's useful. It's a fine heuristic a lot of the time, um, but we don't just want to reinforce that blindly. Um, but what we do want to do is, is for our clients to have a basic repertoire um, of being able to perform exercises that are central to the activities that they're going to engage in, you know? So, I mean, if you were, if someone told you that they were interested in improving their fitness um, and they've got a running track out the back, like they could run backwards. That could be an option. And you could say that, oh, it's just arbitrary that, you know, we're deciding that you run forward because that's the way it's always been done. Why don't you run backwards? But obviously someone wants to get better at running forwards. And obviously that's a real stupid example, but it's actually still applicable here because the barbell squat has always been done or well, it hasn't always been done. Like racks are a relatively new invention. <laughs> the barbell is even a relatively new invention, um, but they've been done for a while and it's a key part of, of that physical culture. And what happens then is you start to think about how this actually applies to, you know, someone's everyday, everyday conversation in the gym. So, you know, we, we kind of make a meme out of the idea, you know, how much do you bench bro? But, and, and we say that, oh, you shouldn't care about that. But realistically, the vast majority of trainees in a gym, they care about that. Like they actually do care about how much do you bench, how much do you squat, how much do you deadlift. And even though those are arbitrary measures of strength and they've come from sports or have been integrated in particular sports like powerlifting or strongman, et cetera, um, they still matter to people because it's the kind of common language that weight trainees use. So if I'm, a, if I'm someone who engages in resistance training and I go to the gym and you know, I'm, I'm discussing resistance training with my comrades, then there's a common language that we use. There's a, la there's a language of, all right, I, I can gauge quickly. I know quickly how, how long Paddy has been training or maybe whether or not he knows what he's talking about. When I say, oh, you know, Paddy, what's your best squat? And like when he says it's over 200 kilos or whatever, I'm like, all right, you know, this is probably someone who maybe knows a thing or two about squatting. It doesn't give me the whole picture. It doesn't mean that that guy's a genius, but it's some sort of, of kind of transferable language that we can use to try to get an idea of, of things, as opposed to saying, you know, how much do you, do you do on the leg extension? Like while we can make the case that, you know, a leg extension might be a better quad exercise for many individuals and it's more specific, et cetera. Um, 
it's never going to be the case that that is a key part of of physical culture, unfortunately. Um, so, so you can't just divorce these things from each other. So while it is fun to kind of mock people for just saying that uh, all they care about is their squat bench deadlift or whatever, or all they care about is how much they bench, um, these things do matter. And while it's, it's good to use the analytical and the scientific lens to dig into the specifics, it is important to zoom out and say, what, my, what might I be missing if I'm not appreciating where this actually fits in the kind of physical culture piece? And one of the, 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 the most key examples of where this actually comes to play is something that we were discussing before we came on and something that we discussed recently um, with Gavin Cusick. And that's kind of the topic of CrossFit because CrossFit is, is probably like one of the, the prime modern examples of the role of community um, in engaging in some sort of physical training, how that how they reinforce each other, and how there's then a, a culture built into that, um, and and you kind of see that manifest beyond just the exercises chosen. So when people think of CrossFit, they probably do think of you know particular exercises, or they think of circuit training, or they think of the CrossFit Games or whatever. But another thing that was that was really strongly built into CrossFit was kind of like a paleo style of eating like I, i'm not sure if that's still the case i think they do have some affiliations now with kind of low carb gurus um, and stuff like that but but the point there being that there is a dietary component built into the culture as well and a lot of people you know by you know they show up to the gym and they're doing the same exercises uh, your friends are kind of reinforcing the training that you do the effort you put in the choices you make but also then when it ties in with your nutrition as well you can see how this could lead to quite strong outcomes in terms of um, an individual's health. And yes, again, this is where it comes down to the kind of differentiation between like the benefits of culture and the scientific or analytical lens, because what you can turn around and say is that, no, you don't need to eat a paleo diet to be healthy or to lose weight or anything like that. Um, and is there, is there a risk there associated with um, trying, to, trying to basically build one diet into the culture and, and, and having it too rigid? Of course there is. You know, but the but the the thing the thing that's interesting is that, like, if you're if you're trying to promote a, a paleo style of dieting, you know, it is fairly healthful. You know, it's like there's not much of a downside to trying to promote the idea of eating, you know, what you might call real food. You know, of, of eating in that manner. Like, yes, there's lots of benefits to that. Is there some sort of risk? Probably, in that you don't want people to solely believe that that's the only way. Um, because that's when you start to see the exceptions and that's when you need to be able to kind of step outside your culture a bit, I think. And that's, that's basically for me where the limits lie, where, you know, when something isn't working for someone or when it, when it's having adverse effects or when you're kind of deliberately uh, tell, telling lies to try and reinforce your culture, that's where it starts to become a bit pathological for me because I'd be comfortable if I was in a, a gym environment or setting up a gym or whatever in saying that like, look, this, you know, these these, these foods are actually probably what you want to be eating most of the time, but you can still have some other stuff here and there. And this isn't the only way, but it's a good way. You know, that's cool with me, but the, where it does become pathological is when, you know, this is how we eat. This is the only way to do it. And if you deviate from this, you're going to be unhealthy and you're not really part of the tribe and we'll look down on you. So that for me is kind of the limits of that. Would you agree? Yeah. Like you can't spell culture without cult. So it yeah, also has a, a very, very high propensity of you know descending into that cult-like behavior which again has positives and negatives as i said like it's basically tribalism and again mm -hmm. there are positives and negatives associated with that you know um especially when you talk about in-group out-group type things and this this is like 
because obviously I want to just bring this back to uh, rather than a, a theoretical, just like we're discussing discussing uh, culture. Like let's put this into the, uh, some actionable like ideas, especially now that we're in this kind of lockdown time. I mean, we're going to be in this lockdown until August, you know. So if you are you know trying to do go to the gym now, obviously we're, I'm talking about Ireland here. Like I know there's a lot of listeners from other parts of the world that perhaps aren't even locked down. So they're listening to this going like, stop talking about the fucking lockdown. We don't have one, you know? Um, so there is that. But in Ireland, we're locked down until August, you know? So like, I want to move this to like actually discussing this in a, a motivation lens because that's what we want to discuss today. But anyway, look, you, you, you can't discuss or you can't dissociate the the culture from the practices, right? And there was something I wanted to say. What did you just say the last part there before I said? Uh, oh. CrossFit, paleo, rigid rules. Paleo thing, right. Um, so like you can see this in terms of how your practices are, we'll call them sustainable, right? Because you could use multiple examples. We'll, we'll say alcohol again because I used it earlier, right? So if you're the only one of your friends that drinks, then the likelihood of you drinking probably goes down, right? Because, you know, you're not doing it in a social setting. You're not texting your mates going like, oh, let's go over uh, to Jimmy's house and have a few cans and play FIFA. Like, you're not doing it because you know Jimmy doesn't drink. You know the person you're texting doesn't drink. So it's, it's less likely to happen unless you're going to drink on your own. And it's the same with... Uh, like dietary practices like if you i don't know have a friend who is a vegan and they say oh yeah do you want to come over to my house for food and you're like i really just don't like vegan food so no you know and um, like that's that's a, a, a higher likelihood then that you don't engage with that community right but that also then forces by virtue of you know them wanting to have friends uh, that vegan friend of yours to start associating more and more with other people that have the same culture, cultural identity around food as they do, you know, like it effectively uh, drives a wedge between that friendship and that's just around food, you know, and well, that doesn't, like food is something that we have to eat every single day. So that makes sense, you know, and it's less likely to be the case with training. Like you do see this in the training world as well. Like people are like, oh, I don't associate with those CrossFit losers um, or I don't associate with those other people or, or whatever. <clears throat> or again, like you see this in like, uh, football teams you know you support your your football team you're like oh those losers over there those manchester united supporters or whatever um like you push that group out you know so again this we're, we're effectively talking about tribalism but how does this relate to your motivation to train right now so you previously might have had this culture that supports your training endeavors and what i mean by that is you know even if you didn't fully engage with the individual's in your gym setting or wherever it was that you were training, like like obviously the two of us, we've effectively lost lost uh, both of our physical practices in terms of the gym and Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. So we've lost our sport and our you know physical expression practice. Although Gary has a squat rack in his house, so that's pretty scum. Um, you have a bar as well. I don't have a squat rack. I'm not scum like you. <laughs> All right. Anyway. Um, you know, we effectively lost both of those physical practices and the culture surrounding them, right? As have many other individuals, you know? Um, and even if you do have a squat rack in your house, like Gary, scumbag, um, 
that you've lost the physical culture around that because again like you think about it like you say you finish work maybe you go to the, maybe you go to the gym the general times people go to the gym are before work and after work so we'll say that 6 a.m till 8 a.m time and then that 6 p.m until 11 p.m time you know that's generally the time people are going to the gym right and um, obviously a lot of people listening to this are in the fitness industry so they generally go to the gym in the in-between time, especially if you are in that kind of 20 year old, 20 to 30 year old age bracket. And you know, you're in this physical culture uh, of like actual fitness industry and you work there and you're probably training somewhere around the middle of the day because you're probably working the other sides of the day. Right. And so when you go to the gym, you see the same heads all the time. You, know, you see the same people, you know, you, you, you become friends with this, these people, you know, and that, you know, even if you're just asking for a spot from fucking Joe over there, you know, you know, Joe, like you might not know his fucking life story, but you're like, I know the way Joe likes to train. I know I give him a spot on the shoulder press on a Thursday when he's fucking, you know, really pushing it. He really likes that exercise. I know he always does it on the Thursday uh, when I'm in the gym, you know, he knows he can you know, rely on me to give him a, a spot. And, you know, when I'm doing my bench press, He's always there on my heavy sets. And, you know, even if you're not training together, you have this kind of mutual agreement. And like, give you the nod in the gym. You know, if I ever need a spot, you're there. And again, like there's all these individuals that you interact with. But, well, you may not, you know, text them regularly or phone them up or, or whatever. You do interact with those individuals and they support your training endeavor, right? And you might've thought previously that you know, this is not really a huge part of my physical expression or my cultural identity around training but now that that's been taken away from you you realize that and i actually don't train as hard anymore or i actually find it hard to even start training you know like you're like oh i'm gonna organize a time i'm gonna say 12 o'clock you know you're working from home maybe now and you're like ah oh, 12 o'clock i'm gonna go down to the, the back there and you know do a few exercises and you know train you know and whatever equipment that you have maybe it's just your body weight, you're still like, oh, I'm going to go get some training done. But, you know, you, you're not in the same environment. You don't push yourself as hard. You know, you don't, you don't even want to go train. And you used to be the individual that was like, man, if I didn't train today, man, I, felt, I would feel like shit or, you know, I just, I wouldn't be in the right mindset and all that kind of stuff, you know? And now all of a sudden you're like, who, who am I? Because you thought you were a person. You thought you were this, again, lone wolf that was like, oh, I'm really into my training. And I really like pushing hard. And now all of a sudden, you're in a situation where you haven't actually exercised in two, three weeks, you know, or longer. I know loads of people that are, were previously absolutely gunning it in the gym. And since the lockdown was initiated, you know, which is effectively seven weeks ago, even though people keep saying it's five weeks, that's just incorrect. Um, you know, that they've effectively lost their their identity now because they're like well what like who, who am i i thought i was the the training guy or whatever and now all of a sudden they're they're not you know they're someone who used to train you know so because they lost their cultural identity around this whole training process they lost their motivation and they didn't even know that that was something that was motivating them you know the the, the whole cultural aspects around this and now all of a sudden they're like who am I? So like, I've seen this a lot in the fitness industry. You know, you've seen people completely go dark. They just don't post things anymore, which is fair enough. Like I, I don't like social media myself, so I don't post much there. So I'm a bit of a hip, hypocrite. I nearly said that word wrong. Um, but 
you know, you see people that used to post every single day. They used to be, you know, always on Instagram and, you know, putting up their, their training sets, their, their bench presses, their, their squats and everything. They were like, you're keeping really good progress tracking on, you know, some app like Instagram um, or even YouTube or whatever. And all of a sudden they've just gone completely dark and they don't, they don't post anything anymore, you know? Um, and a part of that is that they've lost their identity as someone who does that stuff, you know? And this is especially true for individuals with, we'll say, more rigid uh, thoughts around the, the training process. Like, say, if you're a powerlifter, you know, training from home and doing some push-ups rather than, you know, your bench press, all of a sudden you're like, this, uh, this is just not me, you know? This is not something that, this is not training to me. You know, because you have these very rigid rules around training. And it's, it's quite funny because you see who has more versatile training methods or repertoire right now um, because of this shutdown. And I don't even mean just like who can, you know, think of creative ways to, to train. I mean, like who has, I'm going to say better, that's not necessarily the case, more versatile training ideas because they can then just shift that and be like, right, well, I just want to get a training response, you know, and that's all I've ever wanted. So I'm just going to switch to this exercise or this training modality or whatever. And I think CrossFit individuals are doing extremely well right now because they're like, yeah, this is just no different. I still just like, yeah, they might struggle with the motivation side because they've lost their community. But on the training front, they're like, yeah, like I just go in and I do a hard workout. So I, you know, push myself on some maybe strength work and then I do some more metabolic work and then I do some like conditioning work and it's all of a sudden they're like boom that was my template all the time like i just substituted some exercises basically the the whole thought process was just work hard you know and that's worked well from previously and it's working well for them now you know whereas someone who's like i need to have very rigid progression schemes in place very rigid exercise selections and all that kind of stuff that's gotten them and they're like well okay well i'm just not going to train you know and so that's not to say that those are those versatile training ideas are the most optimal. And this is obviously always a, a question here. And again, it's a, it's what we're saying can seem kind of hypocritical when we, we discuss it, you know, like you might want a discussion of the most optimal exercises, you know, which exercises should you focus on when you have access to those exercises? But you have to also remember, it's like, you do want to build, like I was saying with the squat, some sort of versatility to your exercise repertoire like i was actually discussing this with one of my clients yesterday about the the bent over row you know um and we're just going into some of the intricacies on that because they were just asking about like oh i feel this in my traps you know and they're like is that okay you know and this is one of those things where like the bent over row is kind of a shit exercise for specifically developing any one part of the back right but it's a fucking really versatile exercise for developing the entire back, you know, like it may not be good for one particular point, which you might be trying to develop with some other exercise. And, um, you know, if you're saying, oh, I want to build my lats, like probably won't recommend the bent over row as my prime exercise. If you're like, everything else is good. And I just want to develop the lats. I mean, that's probably not the, the exercise I would choose, you know, but if you're like, look, I just want to get a bigger back, then a bent over row achieves that targets the lats targets like all the erector muscles targets all the fucking upper back we'll call it you know the traps and stuff like it, it gets everything it even gets the glutes it even gets the hamstrings to an extent you know so it's a it's a great you know big hitter same with the back the back squat you know where you know you might not be 
perfectly built to have the back squat result in big legs, but you know, it works pretty much everything in the lower half and a lot in the upper half, again, the, the posterior side at least um, of the upper half, you know? Um, so while it might not be the best specific exercise for a given muscle group, it is a good all over builder. And that may or may not be something that you want to do, you know? So having like a, a versatile ideology around training has been really good for individuals right now. But again, if you were say a bodybuilder and you want to develop specific muscle groups, you know, having a very specific exercise selection is probably a better idea when you actually have access to those, but you still need to keep that versatility because there are going to be times when you don't have access to these exercises. And you can see that now with a lot of people who had those rigid thought processes around training, they've just kind of dropped off. They're like, yeah, no, like I don't, I just can't train now, you know? Yeah. And I think, I think like a fairly robust way of going about this, of, of trying to kind of remedy that is to make sure that when you're getting really specific in terms of like what you do as a trainee, like, so for example, if, if you're like, right, I'm primarily interested in bodybuilding and hypertrophy training, it's far better to layer that, that specific type of training on the basis that, you know, like training itself is just part of who you are. And like that, that always sounds stupid when you say it, cause it's like, oh, here we go. Like, you know, you want me to change my identity and it's who I am and you know, I'm more than this and blah, blah, blah. But, but like, it actually is a really robust thing that like, if you, if you, if you try to build in the, the fact that, or that the idea that training is literally like what I do, like, why would I not train? Physical training is just part of who I am. That's so robust at times like this, because what you begin to realize is that like, yeah, okay, I was specializing, doing more hypertrophy-specific work with these machines and these specific exercises and tempos, etc. But regardless of whether or not I have access to that, I'm still going to train because training is a basic part of life and that's it, you know? If you can build that, uh, if you can make sure you're layering it on top of that base, that's going to be far more robust because what is quite fragile is the idea that, you know, you immediately specialize in one particular thing that's not robust across multiple different environments or without a gym, uh, et cetera. Because like you said, you know, the cross people who are interested in CrossFit, or you could just say cross training or, you know, in, in people who basically engage in multiple different types of exercise and build multiple components of fitness, they always have something they can work on. You can always do something, you know, whereas if you're focused solely on like, like powerlifting and that is it. Of course, if that's your sport, please, by all means, fire away. But if you're just trying to get in, getting into training, don't over-specialize without having a general base. Because if you do over-specialize, then at times like this, what are you going to do? You know? um, and this was, this was kind of reinforced recently um, by a, bo- a book that like, basically it's, it's not even a book. It's a, it's a little pamphlet and a, and a podcast that uh, Jocko, Willink, Dave, Dave, Jocko Willink, Dave Burke, and Sarah Armstrong, I believe her name is, they released uh, this little book called The Code. And it's basically a little guideline on, you know, all right, how to live a good life, you know, because I think this is something that actually is, that, that is kind of lost and that is forgotten, is that you have some sort of code by which you live. And, you know, we've spoken about this multiple different times, Patty, where like, you know, having some sort of, of things that like you basically just live by that you see as being like, no, these attributes are valuable. Having those actually allows you to then get on the path to use the terminology that Jocko uses and get towards the person that you actually want to be. So basically they put together a little pamphlet being like, 
or little book, I'll call it a book. Um, they put together this book being like, how, how, how can you become an eminently qualified human being? Like that's the idea taken from the military. Um, and basically having all these different um, attributes, like your intellectual fitness, your physical fitness, um, your relationships, etc., and basically grading yourself on those. And it's a nice little reminder that, right, you're kind of supposed to be working on these things all of the time. And one of the things that, that, I like I try to get this across to, to my clients in a similar manner is that like physical training, like your your training, your fitness, like that's that's it's not something special. It's an absolute basic human requirement. Like it's it's it should be it should be the exception that someone does not engage in some sort of training. Like that should be weird. Whereas that, that's obviously not the case. Like the vast majority of people are not meeting even basic exercise guidelines for health. And that's before you even talk about excelling in any particular um, physical discipline. So what or I would encourage people in health. Or excelling in health. So what I, would, what I would kind of encourage people to do is to try to remind yourself of that, that like before we get into specifics about optimal, about X versus Y, <laughs> just train, like do some sort of training because it is so fundamentally human, you know, to, to just train and, and it goes so far beyond just your hypertrophy or anything like that. And, and I know that like, it is kind of hyperbole, but like we talk about it like often to say that like, there's going to be situations where you actually need to be fit and it could potentially be life or death. Like it could be, that is a very, very real possibility. And the only, the only time that it's going to matter is when it actually happens. And that's the only time that you'll realize that it was in fact important. But there are far more like, you know, everyday occurrences where that begins to matter. You know, do you want to be the person who can't play with your kids because you're too unfit? And I know like if you're listening to this podcast, it's unlikely that that's going to be you. But what this might expose, the, the coronavirus, the lockdown, what it might expose is that you had actually never really built the, the idea of training into your identity or saw the purpose of training because all you were doing was kind of like, just very specific exercises because it was raised to your image and without that particular type of training, now you're not even training for weeks on end. So that clearly shows that there was some element of fragility there. But, but to get back to the point, you know, exercise and training, like they're really, they're really, really basic. Like, I mean, carrying, carrying luggage for someone who can carry their luggage or, you know, helping uh, an elderly lady bring her shopping to, to the, to the car, all these little things that like, yeah, you don't need that much fitness, but they do start to crop up. You know, there are going to be times in your life where you actually do need to be a bit stronger. You do need to be a bit fitter. You do need to be a bit more physically prepared, or you're not going to be able to do things that could potentially help your kids your wife, your husband, your parents, your grandparents, um, some people that actually matter to you. So by being fit, like fitter physically in, in any way, and um, preferably in every way, <laughs> you, you actually become a more useful individual. Um, and that could potentially even affect your, your career options. You know, like if, if you're, if you're hiring someone and like one person has, is a, has a higher level of physical fitness and there's some sort of physical element involved in the job, obviously I'm going to hire you. And you know that might that might even be something that's that's quite subtle. It mightn't seem like it's a it's a physical job. It could be you know working in working in Tesco in the the kind of storage room where you know one individual who's able to you know carry more boxes and not get tired by it and not complain about it. They're actually a far more, a far more useful um, person to have on staff. There's all these little types of things that come with fitness that are not advertised and, and certainly not as attractive at face value. But if you can begin to realize it, like it genuinely will change your, your approach to, to fitness because you won't, you won't start to ask yourself, you know, 
oh, I, I actually just won't bother training today. And, and it's, it's not the case that you need to train every day, but it's the good framework to get into your head for a while is to say to yourself like, well, obviously I'm going to train. Like that's just, that's just like brushing my teeth. You know, that's just what you do. Like you do some sort of exercise and that could be the case that you just go for a real light jog one day. That's fine. You know, you've still trained. And that's, that's kind of why I brought up the topic of walking. It's just like, all right, no, part of my yeah. is like my baseline humanness needs are doing 10,000 steps. Just Exactly. Yeah, that's it. Like it, it is, it is just about, just about trying to, to build it into your identity and, and, and recognizing that that doesn't mean 100% workouts every single day. And that, that was one of the reasons I kind of brought up the, the code that the Jocko et al were discussing because basically like what the, the idea there being that you rate yourself day to day, you know, that you're a, was this a one, a two, a three, a four, a five, um, on the exercise scale. And I've actually got it here in front of me, so I can actually read it to you just to give you an idea. Um, basically a one being engaged in basic fitness routine or activity. So like giving yourself a one out of five, like that is that you, you just trained, you know, you did something. So that could be the 10,000 steps. Like Patty said, it could be going for a jog. It could be saying, you know what? I'm going to do 50 push-ups. Boom, done. You know, it could be, I'm going to do 10 push-ups depending on how, how fit you are. But the point is that doing something is better than nothing. But then to get a five, like a five is participated in training that reached a level of exertion beyond my perceived limits. The most intense physical training that I was capable of performing, set a new baseline for maximum useful effort. And the point there being that like, that's going to be rare. You know, the, those fives are going to be rare. And if you set the standard for yourself that five out of five is going to be the case every day, then it's, it's very clear that like, obviously you're going to train less frequently if you think that's the only option. So like you said, the 10,000 steps or any other type of basic activity, like at least get yourself a one, get yourself a two, get yourself a three, get these things regularly. And then you'll get more of those kind of five out of five workouts that start to, to creep in because you've built your baseline that, no, I train. I do it all the time. That's what I do because I'm, I'm human and that's what we do, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I think it's a useful way of thinking about things anyway. hundred percent. I agree with you, Gary. Of course you do. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like it, it is a, it can be hard to have that as your identity, you know? So I'm not saying like, Oh, this is just what you should do. You listen to this podcast, and yeah. all of a sudden, you just become this animal that's like, "Yeah, no, I fucking train every single day. I have military discipline, and I wake up <laughs> at four a.m. and I, you know, get shit done." You know, that's that's obviously not realistic for everyone, right? But using this framework, like, well, actually, let's just go back because we've discussed a bit, discussed it before, and it's relevant now. I can't, I literally could not tell you off the top of my head what podcast number it is. Um, but um, being a generalist versus being a specialist, you know, yeah. like you can see right now, the generalists are thriving. The specialists, not so much, right? However, you can still be a specialist at certain times. And this is something that like, I talk with my clients about this, I'd say fucking nearly weekly, right? Um, and that is, you know, you can have all of these different goals, but trying to accomplish them all at the same time, that's probably not... Do you mind not making a lot of noise there, Gary? Thanks. Um, you know, trying to accomplish all of these goals at the same time, that's probably not the best use of your time. You know, you effectively just get shit at a whole lot of things rather than good or achieve mastery at a few things and then start attacking other things, you know, because it's so much easier to maintain a quality than it is to gain a quality, you know? 
So like you could have been a specialist, you like, oh, powerlifting, that's what I was doing the entire time before this lockdown, and it's what I want to get back to, you know? And that's perfectly fine, you know? But right now, you are you don't have access to that for a lot of people, right? So right now, it's like, okay, I'm just going to build some other fitness qualities while I do the bare minimum to maintain the fitness qualities that I have already gained. You know, so again, if you've been neglecting your, your cardiovascular health or your cardiovascular fitness, you know, they're obviously intrinsically tied together, but you know, maybe you haven't done cardio, you haven't done any fucking exercise set over five reps in the last 10 years, you know, right now, maybe it's like, okay, let's actually build some capacity so that I could actually do that in the future. You know, can I do a few fucking 20 rep sets of push-ups? you know, and you might find that you're a fucking 500 pound bencher and all of a sudden you can't do five push-ups. you know? So that's something that you can like bring in right now where you don't have access to your normal equipment or normal training paradigm, you know? Um, and you can again build a, a, a different fitness quality while still maintaining the other fitness quality. Like maybe you do lose some top end strength because obviously like strength is specific, but you've maintained the other fitness qualities such as muscle mass and tendon strength and all that kind of stuff. So that, as soon as you go back in, it just comes back to you very, very quickly, you know? But using the framework, again, of that like specialist uh, versus generalist, it, it is really, it's a very good idea, or rather, you can see how beneficial that is when times like this roll around, when you don't have access to specialist equipment, you know? And so having that overarching framework of your training and we've talked about this before as well but having a framework where you kind of look at things uh, in a more dissociated manner and you isolate things you then improve on those specific qualities what's what is the, the five eyes that i usually say isolate uh identify identify isolate integrate improvise that's you're right you're dead right gary um but anyway yeah four not five um i don't know why that just went straight out of my head but like you should do that right now where it's like okay look what, what are the, the things that i need to work on you're like okay identify them you know okay they're not specific to what i was working on i isolate that's kind of the, the specialization you know and then you start integrating that into a larger paradigm of training as a whole you know you're like okay cool i'm going to work on something uh that may not be perfectly relevant to my other goals right now for example a lot of people they came into this whole lockdown and their whole approach was I want to build more muscle. You know, that's what I was doing previous to this. You know, I only just got into this health and fitness stuff and you know, I've been training for two years or whatever, but my goal is to be bigger, be more muscular, be stronger, whatever. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, we don't have the optimal training environment to elicit those adaptations. That's not to say that you can't get bigger and stronger during this lockdown. Like people are getting big and strong fucking years before gyms were invented. Um, but like, oh, I don't have the perfect equipment. What are some peripheral goals that we can work on right now at this time that you know would support in the future that other goal? For example, you might be like, all right, well, I have been you know trying to gain muscle for the last two years and I've accumulated some body fat that I wasn't really perfectly happy about having, you know? And while it was helpful when I was really trying to push muscle gain, right now, you know, why don't I use this time to reduce that body fat and you know still train hard? Um, in a muscle gain specific manner to whatever extent that you can at home. But right now you're like, all right, I can't do these other exercises that I was doing. I can't really have the optimal approach that I did have. Maybe right now I'm going to focus on something else such as fat loss, 
you know? And having that ability to switch your focus in there, that's obviously a very easy way to think about it. Just, oh, am I gaining or am I losing? But you can also do this with different training approaches, again, depending on your overall situation and goals. You might be like, all right, cool, I was training. I, want, I had all these 10 different goals. You know, I wanted to be super fit. I wanted to eventually run a marathon, but I also wanted to gain some strength. And you had been previously focusing on the strength side of things. And then you're like, all right, I don't have access to that. So I'm just going to really work on that marathon. I'm going to pick a marathon to do possibly <laughs> uh, after September. Um, and you're like, that's what I'm going to focus on for this next while and then come back to the muscle game. And I'm going to do the bare minimum required to maintain the muscle mass that I have, you know? Um, so having an ability to have a broader perspective of training as a whole, and like Gary said, like it's part of your identity where you just train, you know, it doesn't have to be specific. Like I always think about it, like this, this is why people just drop off a training as they age. Because again, if you're a powerlifter, for example, and your whole idea around training is I need to do like max effort stuff. I'm really pushing the envelope with, you know, adding to my total. Like what do you do when you're in that kind of 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, you know, years of age? I mean, um, like, why do you like, what are you going to do if that's your entire paradigm? Like, do you see yourself back squatting to a uh, max effort when you're 90? Probably not. So you're going to have to build a robust training paradigm that allows you to exercise throughout your lifetime. And I'm not saying that, you know, elder, the elderly can't resistance train or can't push strength development. They certainly can. But what I mean is like, what is the paradigm you're building? Like I always look at, like I used to box, I box for the guts of nearly 12 years, but that's probably not a long-term paradigm, right? However, like Brazilian jiu-jitsu, I could, I can see myself doing that when I'm 90, you know, yep. obviously I'd have to, you know, roll with some other 90 year olds, not these young books, but that's something that like, that's a skill development that, you know, you only get better with age. And while you might lose some of the physical capacity to do certain moves or do certain, you know, techniques or whatever, like you build a, a different training set to still be able to train. You know, I'm not saying you're going to be competitive or anything, but you know, you're still able to train. So having that mindset where like, yeah, you can definitely focus on short-term paradigms such as like powerlifting. I'm not singing powerlifting now, even though like you probably could powerlift until you're fucking old in, to some extent, you know, but like just for example, you know, powerlifting, like, do you see yourself being able to do that progress for years to come? You know, and if you don't, what is your exit strategy? Like where, like, when, are, when is enough going to be enough? And then how are you going to shift your training to other strength, fitness, whatever qualities you want to call them? Like, when is that going to happen? You know, and are you willing to accept the trade-offs that have occurred for you focusing for 30, 40 years on three exercises? Like, are you okay with that? And if you are, again, I guess go for it. Like, I'm not, I'm not telling you what your goals should be, you know? Um, but if you're not willing to accept those trade-offs, <clears throat> then now is the perfect time to pivot and move towards other goals. Like I always think of like a Jim Wendler when I, I think of this kind of stuff, like he's a, a thousand pound squatter um, or at least previously he was a thousand pound squatter. I think it was equipped though. So if you're a, a raw squatter, you're like, no, it doesn't count. But either way, you fucking walked out a thousand pounds or maybe it was monolith. I don't know. But anyway, thousand pound, sat down, stood back up. Fucking there you go. Um, but he was like, you know, I can only do three things. I can only do fucking squat, bench, and deadlifts. He was like, my body does, like, I'm shit at everything else. And he came from an, an athletic background. Um, 
I put that in like finger quotes because everyone says athletic and what they really mean is sports that involve running because you know that's what people think of athletics and um, because that is athletics and even though I would argue that there's definitely other sports that are far more athletic that involve no running such as you know gymnastics and um, but anyway um they came from an athletic background and just you know missed doing conditioning stuff being able to have a, a robust training ability like you know he wanted to be able to fucking overhead press he wanted to be able to do chin-ups dips different things and he's like his body wasn't built for that because of how he had built it to get to being a thousand pound squatter you know so you have to change his training paradigm you know and you also see this when people get injured like they blow out their fucking knees or something it's like all of a sudden they're like i can't squat so how can i still train you know most people just stop training you know and that's that's unfortunate um and again you see this now people have just stopped training you know and it's it is unfortunate and the way you get around it is having a robust uh physical culture around your your training you know you have a you know it's training is the the goal you know again all like this even though it sounds like a circular argument like all exercises and all stuff is arbitrary you know it, it literally is at the end of the day so what you should just be looking for is i just need to supply a stressor to my body and yeah there's going to be more beneficial or ideal stressors to elicit a certain adaptation whether that's muscle gain fitness whatever but you just want to be doing hard things to your body. You know, you just want to be pushing yourself to progress in some manner over time, you know, and that can, that can look like so many different things, but it is the act of actually just training that we want to encourage, you know? So having that physical cultural identity around this, like that's, that is something that you need to develop. Now, before we just, uh, let this episode just fucking descend into complete anarchy like it has. Um, we need to bring this back to motivation and how you can actually a- apply this physical culture, this cultural identity around training to the situation we find ourselves in right now. You know, So effectively what we've said is you, know, you can't ignore the cultural identity around training, right? It probably is a good idea to have a robust cultural identity around training, you know, or ideas around the physical expression, day-to-day life, you know. And so right now, if you're finding yourself in a situation, which I know a lot of people are because we train a lot of people and they they tell us it, and obviously you can see it on social media, um, people are struggling to have that motivation to train hard, you know, to train and try to progress. And again, you're going to need it if we're going to be effectively locked down until August, you know, it's like you've just been, you know, waiting things out, thinking like, oh, yeah, we'll be open soon. We'll be open in two weeks. I, I won't train for two weeks. I'll give my body a rest. Like if you have actually been resting for the last seven weeks, five weeks, whatever you want to classify it as, you know, you're probably in a position where like you, you can't see that happening or you could see that happening for the the rest of the summer and then you never getting back to training. You know, like I can, I can definitely see that happening for quite a few individuals who used to have quite a... Uh, a big cultural identity around training and the training process, right? So how do you, how do you use this information that you know, there is a cultural aspect to training now that you're training at home, right? So that's the question I pose to you, Gary, how can you use your cultural identity, your cultural, you know, uh, identity around uh, physical expression and even nutrition to an extent uh, to motivate yourself to train right now when motivation is 
probably quite low. And, you know, you didn't realize it before, but, you know, the act of the rituals, excuse me, around going to training, the act of, or the rituals around that training process, you know, talking to the fucking lads or the, the women in the gym or whatever, you were in that environment and that all supported your, your training endeavors. Um, and now that's been taken away from you. That kind of social aspect is gone. That kind of community aspect is gone. So how do we build, first of all, that physical expression into our day-to-day life, but also use this cultural identity idea to increase our motivation to be able to train right now. Yeah. So step one, I think, is to realize that training in and of itself, independent of the outcome in three months or six months or a year or whatever, training in and of itself is intrinsically valuable. Okay. So just the process of training in any form is going to improve your health and is going to improve your life long term. Um, and improves your day. You like that's actually another important thing is that like you always feel better after training, like unless you injure yourself, you almost always feel better um, after you train. Okay, so that's the first thing is to realize like that the process itself has intrinsic value, even if the workout is like, even if it's like a newbie personal trainer who knows nothing about training and he gives you, oh, here's a thirty minute workout plan. It could be the shittest program ever, but you will still be better for it. You know, almost all the time you'll, you'll, you'll be better for it. So that's the first thing is to realize that right, physical training in and of itself, intrinsically valuable, intrinsically um, worthwhile for your life, for bettering yourself um, and for just your, your general sense of well-being day to day. So it should be like baseline, recognize that like forget about optimal training is training and you should be training. Okay, that, that's kind of step one. Step two is is actually probably more easily accessible these days than it will be in, in other times. So, and what I mean by that is, is the use of social media can actually be so useful during this time if you're deliberate with it. So what I mean by that is you could set up a, a little thing that you do every day. Well, like we did this a couple of years ago when we were, when we were dieting and we got absolutely shredded where we just post like our da- daily accountability, you know, uh, a photo every morning. Um, maybe a little bit narcissistic, who cares? You know, a little photo of every morning, top off, abs out. From the start, when we were actually quite fat, you know, <laughs> to the end when we had both lost, I think, between somewhere between 10 and 15 kilos. Um, we had lost a lot of weight. Uh, and basically from, from sure start to finish. 20 kilos, but no. <laughs> basically, point there being that, like what, what we did there was we basically created external social accountability because dieting is a very individual process. Um, but you can still build social accountability into that. So it was like, boom, daily accountability, body weight, picture in the morning. Um, and then, and then there's, there's a kind of reinforcement there that one, you want to be improving for your own photos every time you, you, you post them or, or the body weight or whatever, those things together, like that was part of it. But it's also the case that like, you know, you know, the other, other people are watching and like, yeah, there, you could say that that could be potentially pathological in some cases if you're trying to make the scales reduce every single day and you're solely dependent on how you look in the morning. Um, so not recommended for everyone. But in this case, what, what I'm saying is that you could actually use that to the benefit of your training and that you could say, um, training done, have you trained yet? At Paddy Farrell, at Brian O'Hengiza, at Luke the Muscle Mentor, at Mark O'Dwyer, whatever. Your little, your little circle, the people you talk to on social media, like, you know, the thing is you could have 100 followers and do this because you know that there's a few lads or a few girls that you know that are always training. So, you know, you tag them and say, have you trained yet today? 
and they'll start tagging you back. And it's like, boom, you've got this little thing going where, you know, if someone's not training, you're calling them out. You know, you haven't trained today. What are you doing? You know, why, why did you not train today? So they're, they're the types of things that you could start to create. You know, you could have your own little thing. You just do it on your own. You know, that's just like, boom, daily accountability, accountability training done. You know, lots of people do this. Like Jocko Willink, like we mentioned about the book, he posts his watch every morning, basically the, the time that he gets up. And although he probably would literally never admit it, there's definitely a desire to get up on time so that you can post a photo and not be soft as well. You know, like, you know that that's the thing. And lots of people do similar things. And I, I did that for a while before where I'd post my watch in the morning or post the time that I got up or whatever, because it reinforces the behavior that I'm trying to actually in, ingrain. So like, while social media can be like very often take away from your life in that if you're spending six hours a day on social media, like you, you're definitely wasting your life. Um, it can also like be really useful for reinforcing these habit loops because you, you basically start to reinforce your own behavior because you know that you have something to show up for to check in. You know, it's the same like having a check in with a coach or having a check in with Weight Watchers or whatever. You're creating that for yourself by having that daily thing that you post. Um, but what you're also doing is you're, you're bringing in other people. And if you're someone that, if you know that, you're someone who really depends on other people and that kind of social element, then this is the perfect opportunity for you. So what I would say is, you know, get a few of your friends who normally go to the gym. Um, they're probably struggling with the same things as you and just start tagging them, you know, or, or say to them, Hey, do you want to create a little uh, social accountability group where we post in our workouts every day on WhatsApp? It doesn't have to be on Instagram or anything. It could just be a WhatsApp group where yeah, or even if you're doing it on Instagram. You can still use that like close friends. Yeah, exactly. That's a good idea. Actually. You can, you can, you can actually, if you're not familiar, you can like select who your stories are seen by and then you select only those friends so that they could see it. Um, that's actually quite a nice thing. And I know a lot of GA clubs do that actually, where they, um, the, the club will have a, a group chat and basically if they're if they're in the off season or whatever and, and particularly now you have to send in you doing some of your training or you have to send in you preparing one of your meals to show that like actually you're still on the path you know you're you're demonstrating that i care about this even if you're not telling me that i need to do it because you're actually you're, you're engaging in that social accountability so yeah you can definitely set up um set up something like that and, and yeah, I think that's actually just, just quite a powerful way to, to go about it. I know people will, will just not do it. And, and I know a lot of people are like this. And I know I'm probably like this a bit myself where it's like, I've got this. I'm a lone wolf. It doesn't matter. Don't need the help of anyone. But if you have noticed that at this point, seven weeks um, away from the gym or whatever, if you've noticed that, look, it hasn't been going well for you so far. You haven't been getting your workouts in just recognize that other people can be really useful. And if you create one of those WhatsApp groups, one of those story bits of banter going, um, or even a daily post on, on your, your own social media or whatever, whatever you want to do, it, it will help or almost undoubtedly. I would be very surprised if that didn't help you to want to show up and do some training more um, every day. What do you think? I 100% agree. Basically you need to recapture <clears throat> that culture and, community is intrinsic to culture you know like you can say you have a, a culture and if you're in a single lone individual it's hardly a culture you just have practices you know and um, which you know there's there's merit to that um but you know creating a culture you know it, it is almost as i said earlier like creating a cult you know so having that community that's how you build a cult you know so how do you build a culture is having that community and like you support yourselves 
or your sport and Twitter even, and you support the goals of that community, you know? And again, your goals might be different. You know, you might be like, someone's focusing on fat loss, someone's focusing on uh, muscle gain, someone's focusing on strength, someone's focusing on fitness, whatever it is, you can still have a community aspect to training, you know? You can still have a community aspect to physical expression. Again, especially because diet falls under this in, in our arbitrary definition, you know, where you're like sending in pictures of your meals, you know, and again, you're like, oh, I'm really trying out this, you know, lower calorie meal here, or, oh, I'm really enjoying, you know, berries, they're in season or whatever it is, you know, you're literally creating this community uh, around the training process, around the, the actual motivation to train, because there's going to be days where you're just going like, like, and I've been locked in this same house, you know, maybe you live in an apartment or something, and it's like two rooms, like I've been literally in the same house yeah i go out for a walk and that's fine but like people don't even fucking look you in the eye anymore you know heads down as soon as you look now they always do that to me anyway because man, i'm fucking a giant um <laughs> but um people always fucking like you know they don't even make eye contact and that's pretty weird being a human like that so you might be in a position where you, know, you don't really have a, a, a huge local support group you know you definitely have friends you definitely have you know, people that you engage with, even if it is a, a work banter group or whatever it is, you know, have that, use that as accountability, use social media, use whatever resources you have to you right now. Like it could be literally an anonymous forum group online. You literally just make a fucking profile and, you know, your name is some random name, like say Reddit or something. You know, you're just like, oh, I'm going to start engaging in that. And, you know, 4chan. 4chan, maybe if you're of that persuasion. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like you literally, there's, there's forums available to you, you know, so you could use them. And so like, that's, that's how you get over this hump in motivation. Now, obviously like that's effectively what we do with our clients. Like I've been way more active with a, we'll call it WhatsApp support for my clients, you know, because first of all, they're, they're, they have a little bit more questions about certain things because obviously we've trained or changed our training style, you know? So they're like, Oh, am I doing this exercise? Right. Not really sure of exactly what you wanted, but I'm trying to really foster that communication and keep that open because I know that is an intrinsic part of training. And, you know, well, a lot of that can be taken care of by the community itself. You know, like if they're going to a gym, you know, they have other individuals there that might be like, here, look, you're actually doing that exercise wrong. Like a, a random personal trainer in the fucking gym will be like, here, look, you know, this is how you do that. Or, you know, their friend might know that exercise or whatever. So some of that gets cleared up. But if you're training alone, you're training on your on your own and you're just unsure of something, you know, like having someone to ask questions to. And again, you can use our free Facebook group. Like that's definitely one option. We also have group coaching. So you could definitely use that. Um, or you could get avail of one-to-one -one coaching. But that is something that we're trying to foster, foster with our community, you know? So you can still use that same thought process and that idea that there is this culture around training to enhance your ability to train and get results right now. You know, like, yeah, the gym is going to be open in August, hopefully. And um, but what are you doing between now and then? Like that's fucking months away. You know, are you just going to say like, oh, I'll just wait, you know, like you can, you can still make phenomenal progress during this time towards your goals. Like it's like when people say, oh, I'll start on Monday or, you know, I'll start in January. That's when I'm going to start, you know, like a lot of people right now have a lot of time on their hands. You could use that to your advantage or you could use that to your detriment. And I see a lot of people using it to their detriment. So that's, that's my thought. <clears throat>
my whole thought process on this. Yeah. You know what I've been thinking about? The, uh, the first day back at uh, jujitsu training and you know who's been training. <laughs> you know who's kind of kept it up. Although um, I'm not looking forward to people who have not been training getting top position and using, yeah. <laughs> using the 40 kilos that they've gained in this time off um, to their advantage. Also not looking forward to all the uh, the purple, brown and black belts who haven't trained in like six months and are literally coming in being like, fucking fresh me, give me a white belt. <laughs> it's going to be fun, especially when they've gained like 20 kilos and it's like, all right, first session, uh, right? Uh, uh, let's practice uh, escapes for a mount. Oh, fuck. Big old 120 kilo black belt. Love to see it. Um, anyway, that I think that's most of what we what we wanted to discuss in this podcast. Um, again, like a big, 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 big part. I'm actually keep stuttering, man. What's wrong with me? <laughs> big, big purpose um, of this episode was basically to kind of get you guys to to look at the the questions that we're normally asked and the things that we normally talk about in a broader scope, okay? Because you know we're obviously very much fans of being analytical and being scientific and trying to reason your way through problems and, and, and being quite specific and trying to find out what's best and stuff like, obviously that's something that we're interested in and something that lots of people are interested in. But if that's all you focus on, it can definitely, um, definitely have some unexpected consequences. And I think at this time that's kind of being exposed and it's funny because it is, it is a lot of, a lot of people probably, didn't take their training as seriously um, or aren't as smart about their training. They're the ones that have actually, yeah, they're the ones that have actually kept training at this time. That's what I was going to say. They're the ones that are still uh, like, for example, the, you'll see, um, you know, mothers with kids and stuff who, you know, their, their sole workouts are like a couple of jogs here and there, you know, they go for some jogs on the road. They're still getting that done. You know, it's just regular, you know, ordinary people, everyday people, not your personal trainers, not like extravagant evidence-based folks or anything like that. All those people, they're still getting their workouts in. It's actually those of us who have sometimes become too specific, too analytical, too um, desiring op- optimal too much, too rigid. Exactly. They're, we're, we're the ones that are suffering um, by this. So like, I mean, yeah, it, it's hopefully there's hopefully some, some lessons in there. And other than that, nothing else to add. But if you'd like to join a community, here we go. The purpose of this podcast. <laughs> first things first, you can join the triage method. Join the triage method community on Facebook. Now that we've had this discussion, I might even start doing a little post. Hey, you know who worked out today? <laughs> One of those things. See what people want to want to say. Um, because obviously, like we want to create accountability for people, regardless of whether or not they're our clients preferably our clients. And actually you mentioned it there, but a lot of my own clients have been, especially the ones that are engaging in more running now, they basically send in their screenshot from their Garmin app or their Strava app. And they, you know, they send that in every day. Um, and, and that's, that's actually been real helpful for them. And it's real helpful for me as well, obviously from the perspective of analyzing that. But if you do join the triage Myth community, our free Facebook group, um, you can send in that stuff. Like we've absolutely no problem. If you want to be like, here's some videos from my workout today what do you think guys or or just i thought this was a class workout anybody else want to give it a shot like absolutely would love those ideas and if it helps your accountability as well get stuck in man you know no problem um the triage triage method community facebook free open access search it join it 
then join the newsletter, um, triage method newsletter. You can subscribe to that below. It goes out every Sunday. Includes recommended resources, especially if you're sitting around and you've nothing to read. Um, you've no videos to watch, no podcasts to listen to. We provide suggestions there as well as the content that we've kind of produced throughout the week. So, you know, if you are taking time off social media, you don't want to be trying to follow links and stuff and, and looking for content there. A catch, a catch all, you know, all on net there in the newsletter is basically anything that we've produced. So you can just keep up with us there. Um, the group coaching is also a nice way to get some community going. So if you join the group coaching, um, basically you'll have your program, you'll have some guidelines for your nutrition and stuff. And then what you can start to do is use us for accountability there. So there's separate Facebook groups for the male and female group coaching. And what you can do is, you know, post in your workouts or, you know, ask for changes to, to a particular workout because you can't do this particular exercise. Or, you know, you could say here, here's my, here's some meals that I cooked. What do you guys think? Or I've been tracking my calories. Here's where, here's where I am. This is my progress over a number of weeks. I haven't really made progress. What changes should I make? So you can use that to your benefit there in terms of having that accountability, asking questions, having support, checking in with us. Um, you can do all of that through the group coaching. Um, and that's quite a cheap option. We appreciate that people are out of work and stuff at the moment. And, and you know, some people aren't being um, reimbursed appropriately. So as a result, you know, one-to-one -one coaching might be beyond your budget, but the, the group coaching is a real cheap way of, of getting that accountability and getting that support. If you do want to kind of, you know, get on the path more to one coaching, we do have spaces available. Um, interestingly, people like now that, now that we know that people aren't going to be back in the gym until August, I think things will probably pick up in, in for, for online coaches again, potentially, because like one of the things I would be thinking um, for myself is that, you know, if I'm, if I know I'm not going to be the gym until August or September, there's no more time for just kind of, you know, messing around and just not training or like you said, just resting or whatever. It's like, Oh no, this is, this is for the foreseeable future. So let's get training. Let's set some goals. So if now you're setting some goals, you want guidance on them. You know, one of the things that a lot of people are doing is taking up running and different types of training and stuff. So if you want guidance on that and you want to be, you know, real solid in terms of getting the outcomes you want, one-to-one -one coaching is available. Um, and other than that, you know, social media stuff, guys, if you'd like to follow us, Triage Method on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. And and yeah, that's that's about everything I have to say. Dead right, guy. That's pretty usual. It's too easy. It literally, literally is too easy.